electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much, and welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, a game changer for stocks. Is that what today's cooler CPI is? Another key question, is it a game changer for the Fed and how high it might hike? We'll debate that, discuss all of it with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour, everybody here on the desk, Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, and Jim Labenthal. Carl was just talking about the uh, fizzled rally, if you want to call it that. Dow's still good, but it's only up 112. S&P still up near 1%, not nearly as high as it was. It's a cut in half, that uh, gain that it had. NASDAQ, good for one and a third, 348, the yield on the 10-year. Going to get to all of it, the ramifications for stocks, for the Fed, But first, we get to our Elon Moy, who is in Washington covering that FTX hearing. A look at what we've learned thus far. Elon, really just a stunning level, as Carl was laying out, of disorganization, among other things, at FTX. Yes, Scott. Current FTX CEO John Ray is characterizing what happened at the company as old-fashioned embezzlement, not sophisticated at all. He's calling this a paperless bankruptcy because of the complete lack of documentation. And in fact, even in the cases where there was a paper trail, he said it raised more questions than answers. He pointed to the example of a loan that Sam Bankman-Fried apparently took out in which he was both the issuer and the recipient. And all of this is making it a painstaking process to try to secure customer assets. Ray said that process could take months, if not longer. And so that is leading to the big question in Washington, which is whether these events uh, create urgency around new legislation or whether it stigmatizes the industry. Here's what Democratic Representative Brad Sherman had to say clearly in that latter camp. My fear is that we'll view Sam Bankman-Fried as just one big snake in a crypto garden of Eden. The fact is, crypto is a garden of snakes. So we know that the ranking Republican on the committee, Patrick McHenry, has said that creating comprehensive digital asset legislation is one of his top priorities once he becomes chair during the next session of Congress. So, Scott, we will see how this shapes the conversation here in Washington. But for today, for today, Congress is just trying to unravel this big mess. You mentioned that uh, what will be the money soundbite, really, Elon, I think today from John Ray, quote, this is just old fashioned embezzlement. No sophistication whatsoever. You'll continue to monitor the hearing. We will as well. And come back on with us uh, if we get any more headlines that we need to know about. That's Elon Moy down in Washington for us. So let's kick around the market here because we did have that cooler than expected CPI report led to a pretty big rally right off the open. Jim Labenthal, Farmer Jim, uh, you were ready to back the tractor up and buy some stocks today. And what happened to the rally, though? What happened? I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure, Scott. I'm also not sure I'm going to pay too much attention to the midday fizzle um, because I think the news today is important. Um, basically, what we're seeing, and you asked in the intro, is this a game changer? And I would submit to you that the game changed several months ago, that inflation clearly peaked June, July, sometime in that time frame. And the market and a lot of commentators have, are grudgingly beginning to accept that. And the acceptance means the probability of a soft landing is going up. It doesn't mean that a recession is off the table, but certainly the probability of that is going down as the probability of a soft landing goes up. Um, and, you know, look, I think you're going to see more investment banks, more uh, media commentators start to recognize that and start to express that. So if there's a little pullback today, it could be anything right now. It could be, you know, yesterday we were up one and a half percent, maybe some profit taking. But I do think you're going to see more bullishness in the weeks to come. Uh, and I think it's warranted. I think it's warranted. The Fed has raised rates tremendously. It's having an effect. They'll do 50 basis points tomorrow. Why not? They can get away with it. After that, it's, it's anybody's games, but it's at least 25 is what we're shifting to. Is it one? Is it two? Let's wait and see what the December inflation right. numbers right. turn out to All be. All right. So let's kick around that statement that you just made, Josh. I, and I want to debate it. Um, bullishness is warranted. More bullishness is warranted, says Jim Labenthal. Is it? Well, like 99% of other uh, financial arguments, you basically just like boil it down to time frame. So if you if you need like stocks to rally in the next month, I don't know if more more bullishness is warranted. I think he's speaking on a much bigger picture that the game has changed enough that it is warranted to be more bullish here forward, period. So I will agree with everything that Jim said about inflation, and I actually think the data will continue to move in the Fed's direction unabated. I don't think we're going to get another one of those rug pulls where next month is like this shock that comes out of nowhere. We know that the shelter cost is the big variable. It's the thing that's keeping us at a seven handle. That is falling. There's higher frequency data that's not on a nine-month lag with, with rentals, for example. And we know that we're more likely to have a six-handle than a seven-handle in front of the December number that we'll get in January. So I think, the, the, directionally speaking, Jim is going to be right. The caveat is we get too comfortable. You get that VIX level down at 20 or 21, and another shock comes along. The second problem that we're going to have, though, at what point – is the handoff going to be from inflation fears to disinflation and or recession fears? Like, I feel like we're right on the cusp of that. No one's going to be excited about an economic expansion of uh, 1% next year with interest rates at 5% and not budging. That is not a great environment for most stocks in the market, for most businesses, for most people. So at a certain point, that's going to come to the forefront. We'll stop worrying about inflation and we'll start worrying about, well, we don't have low enough inflation for the Fed to cut and there is no growth. Like that is the scenario that you don't want. But I, I, I'm starting to feel like that's going to become the bigger risk what, in Q1. What if you don't get to 5%? And I know I'm being provocative, but that's what I believe. I believe you're going to top Dude, out look at look at market percent. expectations right I know. now. They're below, they are below 5%. And they well, came as down. Of today. Yeah. No, but even even worse, it's what meant it's what meant forty basis points of cutting next year. Yeah, eh, and, that. and 150 in in 2024. So the market is telling the Fed it might have already gone too let's far. Let's do this. Let's deal with question one before we get to question two. Question two being around 
whether it's a game changer for Fed policy or not. Question one was whether it's a game changer for no. your money and stocks. I don't think so, but I do. So I, I want to just caveat by saying I think we can rally into the end of the year, especially after tomorrow, because we'll get really two big data points out, right, out of the way. Um, and sentiment is really negative and seasonality plays into, into the factor. So that I think we can see a rally into the end of the year. Beyond that, we have so many questions on 2023. We have no idea what the Fed and all the things that they've done so far in terms of the higher rates, what that's going to mean to earnings and to the economy. And I think today's action in the reversal is lower inflation means lower earnings, lower pricing yeah. power. That's what I think is happening here. Now, all that being said, we definitely made progress in, the, in inflation today especially on the good side, right? 5.1% in goods inflation to 3.7%. That's really remarkable. That's great. However... Services, bad. Bad. And that actually accelerated, right, to 6.8%. That's, that's the core number. And that's a key part of what the Fed is specifically right. looking at. If you remember the exchange that I had on Twitter with Neil Kashkari, um, who suggested that there was no evidence, I think he said at the time, that inflation had peaked. I came to him and said, well, what do you mean? Like, you know, all, yeah. I could point to a million different metrics that suggested it has. He came back with not in the, not in the core. Like, the services number well, shelter's is so, bad, so, so. and shelter, right. obviously, bad, too. Those are really key parts core of what services, Powell and company are looking at. Core services is 73% of core CPI. That's why it matters. Right. That it accelerated in this past month. That's why it matters. And that's why the Fed is not going to change their tune tomorrow. 50 basis points is likely 25 and 25 February, March. Did, he, did they overdo it? That's the question for 2020. OK, so let, let's deal then with question two. And it relates very much to that. Could the Fed stop after tomorrow? It's likely to slow down. Does it change the peak for the Fed funds rate? That's what everybody wants to know. So Jim Labenthal just brought up the number of what the market expectations are, because it matters in the big picture. Senior economics reporter Steve Leisman joins us now to help us deal with question two. So what does this do for the big picture for the Fed, Steve? Um, first of all, I need Stephanie Link on my team. I need to really deputize her as an economics reporter as part of the <laughs> CNBC team. She, she has it absolutely right. Mm -hmm. uh, let me talk about the immediate issue, and then I'll talk about a little bit longer term. Look, Take a look at the Fed funds rates, and what's happened is the peak rate has indeed come down. We were flirting with 5%, darn near 499 before this number came out. Now we're down to 483, four, I guess it's 485 right now. It came up just a little bit along with the market selling off. So that peak fund rate come down. Now look at this thing. Here's, look at the middle there, because that's exactly what Stephanie just laid out. 50, 25, 25. That's the odds on bet for the market. You get to 438 tomorrow. You go to 463 uh, in February, 225s after that, and then the Fed is done. Now I want to show you, I hope this chart is done. I put it in at the last minute. I apologize if it's not, the March Fed debate. And this is the key one because, Scott, this gets at the debate right now that's going on in the market. And what that shows you is this. You have 28% of the folks think the Fed is just done right when it gets to that 450, 475 range, okay? 52% say they go another quarter, another 19% say, that's the probabilities anyway, that they go above 5%. That's the distribution right now of the bets in the market with the odds on that they hit that 488 range mm -hmm. right there, Scott. And my take this morning has been the following. I think the market, when it surged the way it did, 
made more of this number than Powell and the Fed were going to make of it. They have said repeatedly, as you guys were talking about, that service sector, which is wage-driven, and they need to see the labor market ease off um, and create some slack there to remove the concern about wage pressure before mm -hmm. they're going to start to put up a mission accomplished sign, you, Scott. You could, though, um, and maybe, I don't know if you will or you won't, say that this number today uh, in you know, total with some other information that we've got would suggest that the Fed is winning in its fight against inflation. What it has to be careful of is not snatching defeat from the jaws of victory by going too far further than it needs to because inflation is coming down faster than it expects. I think that's right. I don't know about faster than it expects, Scott. I, I just don't know if it's I think it's actually been higher than it expected to be by year end here. Um, and I think the Fed is just simply going to be more cautious about all this. It's, of course, going to be concerned that the market not ease financial conditions too much, which would work uh, at counter purposes to what the Fed is trying to accomplish. But, yeah, uh, the Fed is going to feel as if it's winning the battle, but not feel as if it's won. It's a bit like, Scott, those polls that a poll comes out 53, I don't know, 53-47 in favor of one candidate. And then they put them into those probability charts and they say there's a 97% chance of winning. Uh, that's the way the market thinks of this, that, hey, we got another good inflation report. That means the Fed is done. That means that inflation is licked. But that's not the way the Fed looks at it. They, they see that as a process. And I don't think they're going to declare victory here from this second month in a row. But they're going to say this is good news. And it's probably going to do what you guys were talking about, uh, which is curtail how far they go before they stop and take a look around and perhaps limit the damage to the economy. Well, BlackRock's Rick Reeder uh, out in a note a little while ago that says, quote, if data such as today's suggests a real trend that the momentum of, of inflation is lower, we could then see the Fed pause over the next few months at a still restrictive policy rate, but not one which would put potentially excessive pressure on the economy and particularly on the interest-sensitive parts of the economy that have already begun to show signs of real and anticipated weakness. So, I mean, you know, yes, it's yet but another report. The trend seems to be going in the right direction, but, you know, yeah. the, he is talking about this idea of a pause sooner rather than later. I, to, to me, it's in line with my thinking. I always thought the Fed was going to pause around February. Uh, it looks like the market is flirting with maybe another 25 after that. I had said, Scott, you'll remember for a very long time, the Fed has an appointment with 5%. Whether it stops somewhat short of that or somewhat beyond that, I don't think uh, is all that important here. But I think two things, the, the important thing that's emerging here, Scott, I heard a good quote this morning that you can I can finance my company at a higher rate I can't finance my company at a rate that I don't know how high it's going. So once you get to that point where there's some visibility about a pause, and remember, Scott, our CNBC Fed survey shows the Fed hanging around at that restrictive rate for as many as nine months. Uh, but once you get there, people can figure out how to invest, how many people to hire. They can start to get a beat on demand. You can figure out how much damage is done to the interest rate sectors. It's the idea of a constantly moving target that has been one of the most vexing things about both investment and running a company. And so I think that's going to be a net positive, even when they pause at a restrictive rate for the investment thesis that 
folks like Stephanie and Jim and fucking you can you can you can plug a number into your your spreadsheet that says here's the risk free rate that I'm aiming at mm-hmm. and here's what my hurdle to get over that I think that makes it a, a much more uh, uh, an easier uh, task to accomplish. Yeah, Steve, I appreciate it. That's our senior economics supporter, Steve Lee. We'll of course see you tomorrow for the the big event of the decision itself and the news conference. Interesting to note what's happening in the market right now. These gains are uh, you know evaporating pretty quickly. I think we should say. Um, you know, what did I say? The Dow was still up 100, whatever, when we started the show. It's now up 50. So you've given up half of the gains almost across the board. Uh, and in some cases, even a little bit more than that, as we uh, try and figure out what the trajectory for stocks is going to be. And certainly as the Fed relates to that, someone, as you know, has been arguing that inflation is all but over and the Fed needs to stop pretty much now is our next guest, the Wharton professor, Jeremy Siegel. Professor, welcome back. Does that remain your argument? I'm wondering what, what do you make? of what was a very good CPI for the most part and what was a very good reaction in the stock market, which doesn't look so much anymore. It almost looked like someone had the CPI beforehand, the way the futures were going up. And, you know, uh, you, you buy on the news and so on, 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 uh, on what happened here. Uh, uh, I, I, think, I think it was very good news. And I think it's very much what, what I've been saying to you and, and others for the last two or three months, I would like to comment on that service portion. Um, th- listen, the housing at plus 0.6 percent is a nonsensical number. Uh, is is actually a bogus number if you want to know my, uh, my opinion. Uh, if we get any rental index, uh, apartment list, Zillow. If we get any housing index, Casio or the federal index, those are going down. And if you, if, uh, since housing is almost 40% of core inflation, they said it was six tenths and that was 40%. If it's going down, tell me what core inflation is. I'll tell you what it is. It's negative. It's negative now. It was negative next month. It's uh, it, it will be negative next month, and it's actually been negative for the last two months. So if the Fed stops looking at stale housing data, and I don't know why they don't, they would actually realize that inflation is, as I said a month ago, over. Um, now, whether they recognize that, I, I don't really know. I already think they're in overly restrictive territory. I think this should be the last hike. I actually think that they will see data early next year that will uh, prompt them not to do any increases. And as Josh said, the next discussion of the Fed is when should we lower rates? Now, the dot plot tomorrow won't show that. The dot plot will show they'll do 50. It'll show another 25 or 50 or 25 going on and holding for next year. Uh But, But let's be honest. Does the Fed know what it's going to do next year? Not at all. There is no evidence that the Fed's dot plot has any predictive power on what they're going to do. So they can say what they're going to say, but the data is going to completely dictate what actions they take. Okay, you mentioned Josh. Uh, He has a question for you, Professor. Yeah. Hey, Professor, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I would just I would just mention we should probably throw out the year over year numbers and focus on month over month at this point. Um, And month over month, point one is effectively flat. So you are correct when you say there is no inflation. That's not to say there aren't high prices. 
Um, yeah. But when we're talking about inflation, we're talking about the growth rate of the number, not the absolute level of the number. I think a lot of people have trouble with that. The second thing, though, isn't the Fed going to look stupid if they continue to raise rates while the two year falls, the, the, the five year, the 10 year? Let's let's just look at the 10 year is now down to three spot, four, seven percent and continuing to fall. Um, look at the two year. It's down 20 basis points from four spot three nine to four one nine. This is the lowest level since early October. The two year is now down 51 basis points from its high in early November. That is a rapid decline. Do you keep raising rates 25 basis points February? More. I mean, what no. what would be the message to the market if you're doing that? You're saying the market is wrong. I'm right, yeah. and we're about to have a rip roaring economic growth story. That seems nuts to me. What do you think? I, I agree 100%. I mean, the history shows the market is much smarter than the Fed. Right. Uh, and, and what they're saying is that you've tightened enough. Uh, listen, when we get to 50 basis points, we virtually have 100 basis points inversion between Fed funds and the 10-year because it's going to go up to 433, and we were down you know, to, to, to 340 this morning. So we're 100 basis points. I mean, that is a lot of inversion. And for them to continue to raise it uh, as as the 10-year goes down, as I think it will continue to go down, um, uh, it makes no sense whatsoever to me. I, I am sure someone at tomorrow's meeting or today's meeting and tomorrow's meeting is bringing up, yeah, let's use current housing data rather than lagged <laughs> housing data. And then and then tell me what inflation actually is and what it's going to be. Professor, what do you think happens to wages? Well, wages are catching up. Wages are in catch-up mode. They still haven't gone up as much as inflation. Um, and I don't think they're pushing inflation at this point. I think a lot of people, you know, were stuck in, you know, uh, situations where their employer used to be giving 3 4%. Maybe now he's giving 4 or 5 but that's still way below inflation. So now they're saying, hey, listen, I've got to be compensated, at least probably for how much inflation. So it's a catch-up mode. You have wage push inflation when wages go up faster than inflation. Um, and that has not been the case. Wages have lagged mm-hmm. behind inflation. I'm not concerned. I know fit. The Fed voices that, although interesting, uh, you know, as I, I said, James Bullard uh, has voiced to me that I don't look at wages in, in my inflation prediction. Clearly, Powell has seemed to say that, but there's a lot of even hawks on the committee that are not so sure that that's really what's causing it. So, yeah, we can talk about that narrative, but it's really not the right narrative to think about inflation today. So what does all of this then mean, Professor, for the stock market? which you know well, better than most and certainly <laughs> love better than a lot right now. Well, and I also should also I mean, just I, I, remind the, let me the just best also, thing for the stock. Let me also say, Professor, it, before you answer, um, we were just negative on the Dow. I mean, we've pretty much given up everything, right? Has 700 yeah. plus point gain out of the Dow today, gave it up. And uh, everything was up so sharply. And we've all but given, you know, everything up. NASDAQ's hanging in a bit better because, yeah. you know, what rates are doing. Um, but what does this mean for stocks? Well, I listen, if uh, I, I think what what the stock market is looking is for the Fed to get it. And now they're going to worry about your 50 basis points, oh, a hawkish dot plot and then, you know, standing and making hawkish statements tomorrow there. I think that concern is 
is weighing on on the stock market. But the truth is, you know, the next meeting after tomorrow isn't until February 1st, going a lot more data, a lot more noise of people saying, listen, inflation is over and more and more people are going to listen to. And, and just as Josh says, makes no sense, uh, you know, to to continue to raise the Fed funds rate when all the other rates are going down. So the idea is Powell will get it, but they're worried they're not. He's not going to get it tomorrow, mm-hmm. and they're positioning themselves, I think, for a hawkish Fed response, even though it will be fifty basis points. Um, and uh, so they're backing up again. We've had some good gains the last two days. Not, not you know, people are taking profits. Uh, I think now. I think, I think the market is undervalued. I think when the Fed gets it, and they will get it next year. I think we got a good 10, 15 percent rally going for the stock market. I've never seen so much bearishness. And we already know that a record number of people are predicting a a recession by a great margin. uh, And those same people say, I can't buy stocks when I predict a recession. That excessive bearishness to me means this is a good opportunity for investors. You know what? I was going to ask you another question, but I'm just going to leave it there because I think that's a good uh, punctuation mark on on our our discussion today. Professor, thank you very much. That's Professor Jeremy Siegel at the Wharton School. Straight ahead, we have a big call on the big banks heading into 23, a member of the investment committee making a trade today in that space. We'll debate that next. Halftime, back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back on the halftime report. All right, Stephanie Link. Uh, you bought more Morgan Stanley. Good debate going on in the market these days about the banks. You trimmed Wells. I did. That's surprising. Well, I've made a lot of money in, in Wells. I was buying it in the 20s, right? So it, it's been a good performer, not very to, good not performer. Not to brag, not to brag. I got I to gotta say why I'm selling it. I got to take a little bit of money off That's the table. Um, Morgan Stanley, I, I kind of think you don't want to own the pure play interest rate uh, banks into 2023. Um, they've moved, they've outperformed, and I think rates as rates come down, they obviously make less money. So um, 
I want to own more diversified banks, and Morgan Stanley is just that. They've done a lot of M&A, so they've diversified the revenue mix. I like that they have investment banking. I like that they have capital markets. And I think capital markets is probably troughing at this point. It's been horrible. So I think you'll see a pickup next year, especially on M&A, on that side of things. Um, and stocks trades 14 times earnings, and it gives you a 3.3% dividend yield. So I just wanted to be bigger in Morgan, smaller in Wells. Okay. Call the day, by the way. Banks cut to market weight KBW. Josh Brown, you got J.P. Morgan. What do you think about this call? Well, Just taking the whole space down. Yeah, I think the banks got a lot of the benefit of the short end rates going higher. There's a lot more profitability uh, than when you're at zero. Uh, but a lot of that may have already played out. These stocks have been uh, good stocks this year. A lot of them are value stocks. They got caught up in that updraft. Most of them pay dividends. They got that benefit. It's a lot of quality balance sheets. So if you're thinking toward like, well, what's going to work in the next six months, in the next year, maybe it makes sense to get a little bit more cautious on these names. I'm personally not. Um, these stocks are nowhere near even their highs of uh, 2019 and early 2020 pre-pandemic. Uh, I think there's way more room. I think rates will be structurally higher than they were in the last decade for the next decade. And that, I think... Um, gives these stocks a solid basis for at least market performance going forward. I don't need them to be the best sector. I think they're going to be competitive with other sectors. You think they're part of one of the best, what will be one of the better sectors? I do. You know my thesis. I'll state it again, that there's a lot of economic activity. You're bullish. You don't need to state the whole thing again. Okay, good, because I didn't. <laughs> that was a big breath about I took the it. chip plants I mean, in Ohio. No, right? But I will, what I will I'm say, the chip plants in, in Ohio need financing. And I'm not talking mm. about Intel putting out bonds. I'm talking about the land construction guys having to finance their purchase of a Caterpillar tractor. Stephanie, I know you like What's that. What's your favorite bank stock right now? Um, well, fresh, Goldman, fresh money. Goldman Sachs. Goldman, Goldman Sachs. Goldman but the reason, is, the reason is, is because they've got that, but they've also got the capital markets, which this is what Stephanie was saying is you don't just want to be in the net interest margin business. I've got that in Citigroup, and that's fine. But, you know, to have the capital markets in there, the trading as well, which will come back. I mean, capital markets are basically at zero right now. So you just got to let that come back. Let you me, think you'll ever see, though, in capital markets what you saw in 21? No. 21 well, yeah, might yeah, be yeah. a high watermark forever. Not forever, but for a while, yeah. That yeah, was pretty high. The SPACs, but, but you don't need Next that. Year. Versus this year. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're at so. kind of zero right now. So, And you know how the market works, Josh. Everybody does, right? It extrapolates. Okay, we're at zero. We're going to be at zero forever in capital markets. Then all of a sudden, poof, there will be some IPOs. Goldman over Morgan, or you like both? Uh, want to debate I, it, I, Steph? I, you know, look, I think that's a choose your own, right? I mean, they're pretty identical. I mean, maybe because I worked there eons ago, I like Goldman better. But, you know, look, they're, they're pretty identical. Not, that's, a hard, that's a hard argument to have. Same charge. It's the Home Depot Lowe's argument. If you like, I mean, what are if we you, do? If you like one, the other's going to work. Yeah. So, All right. I, I was, I know we joke around about, you know, backing up the tractor. If you're so bullish and you get the report you got today, are you, are you doing that? Yeah. And, if, I mean, you are making some moves. We'll get to those a little bit later. Yep. Um, you don't have that much cash to deploy. That's part of the issue about not being able to fully back up the tracker. Don't but make me feel bad. I feel good today. Don't make me feel bad. <laughs> what do you mean? I uh, had nothing to do with whether you, how you should feel. I'm just saying, <laughs> stating the facts. You back don't have it. that much cash. Back it up. Right? Yeah, exactly. Don't back up the tractor. Just back up. All right. Coming up, we've got the very latest developments on the arrest of FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried. Major news conference is scheduled uh, in about 30 minutes time. Halftime is back in two minutes.
The global energy crisis has triggered big investments in renewables, according to the IEA. Green power is set to double by 2027, adding as much capacity in five years as it did in the past 20. Solar power capacity is set to almost triple by 27, surpassing coal and becoming the largest source of power in the world. Companies like Jinko Solar, Canadian Solar, and First Solar could benefit from the increased spending. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. American scientists making a breakthrough on fusion energy that could pave the way for a cheap source of clean electricity. Scientists at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California achieved a net energy gain for the first time in a fusion experiment using lasers. The U.S. Energy Secretary called the milestone a major scientific breakthrough. Mississippi State University's head football coach, Mike Leach, is dead after complications related to a heart condition. He was 61 years old. Leach was a two-time National Coach of the Year and is credited with being the mastermind behind the air raid offense that revolutionized college football. And Twitter disbanded its Trust and Safety Council after canceling a meeting with the group. The advisory council was formed in 2016 to address issues like hate speech, child exploitation, and other problems on the platform. This is the latest move by new CEO and owner Elon Musk, who continues to shape the company towards what he calls his, quote, free speech absolutist ideals. Scott? All right, Bertha. Thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. All right, let's talk United Airlines. Why? Because they announced the largest commercial aircraft order ever by a U.S. airline, that being United. Stock's been ripping. Jim, you own it, and you're buying into the rip. You added more. Yep. Now, uh, look, you know, obviously, I've been bullish on the stock for a long time. We had a sidebar conversation about how terrible the last three years have been. But um, not just the tone change, the fundamentals have changed. The turnaround is clearly intact here. I mean, look, three months ago, four months ago, they couldn't even deliver these 787s. Now they just picked up an order for 100 more. You were uh, calling. Let, let's remind people, too, OK, while you go on with this. It wasn't <laughs> that make, long you're ago. You're make me feel bad. I know no, exactly. Do you want me to say no, it I'm for not. you? It wasn't that long ago <laughs> that you wanted the CEO fired. This is, I knew you were going to say that. I knew that. How many times why have I apologized I say, for that? I'm not. Look, oh, here's why. Would you stop? Stop for a second. Stop for a second. Okay, please. No. Please. Oh, the new one? No. I'm not advocating for you to apologize to anybody. I'm simply okay. suggesting a handful of months ago, you wanted the CEO gone. Yeah. Today, you're buying more shares into his and the company's future. Yeah, that's and I my think point. That's a good point. 
I apologize. You, I apologize to you. Is that enough? Can Sorry, we I was going to call now? you into okay. chambers after Jeez. the show, but you saved yourself from that. <laughs> Believe okay. me, you didn't want any of that. Please, <laughs> All right, counselor, moving forward. Proceed. No, but I think there's something to be said about Mr. Calhoun, that he had a long, big project to turn around, and he is doing it. And I was a little impatient earlier this year. I had some stimulus to make me impatient. But nonetheless, it's turning around. We're no longer stimulus discussing. or Stimulus. Stimuli. Uh, But uh, look, I know there's a lot of other things that people are looking for here, but the one thing I'm looking for are more engines. And I think that's what Mr. Calhoun and his team are looking for. The more engines they get, the more planes they can deliver, the more planes they deliver, the higher their free cash flow goes. And that's what the story is. By the way, I'm adding to this because it is a heavily indebted company. If interest rates aren't going as high, going back to the start of the show, uh, interest expense shouldn't be as high. They'll also be paying down that debt. But uh, yeah, I'm happy to add to it here. Steph, I'm same story, right? It's all about the free cash flow in your mind. Yeah, and, uh, and they reiterated that, $10 billion at their analyst day. Mm-hmm. So, look, this is a confidence builder for sure, right? Uh, it's a credibility thing as well. By the way, I also think that this is very bullish for GE, who provides the engines for the Boeing planes. You know what oh, I saw yesterday? Going. By the way, you weren't on the show, so we couldn't do it. And I, uh, I, I noted it in my head, you know, when I saw it. So I can't remember who it was either, but somebody named GE their top pick for next year. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Well, oh, how times have changed. Unfortunately, it was Sam Bankman-Fried. <laughs> <laughs> CEO is buying stock at $64 a share. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's going to be a good story as they split out that company. And uh, Has the story really turned like that? You feel like uh, it has? Is it, on the, is it on the way to doing that? Aviation is, has always been humming, right? They have had issues with the supply chain. So now you've got Boeing back on the mend, their biggest client, right? And, and so I think they'll be able to continue that momentum. Healthcare is a gem, and they, China reopening is a very big positive for them. And supply chains also, they'll start to ease, and that will help that, that business as oh, well. Okay. So, yeah. um, let's also mention our, what we're calling our chart of the day today. It's Moderna. Shares are surging on positive drug trial data from its skin cancer vaccine in combination with Merck's Keytruda cancer drug. It's having its best day since the start of the pandemic. It's the biggest winner in the market uh, today. It's up uh, 23 percent. Steve Weiss telling us today uh, that he bought more on the release of this news that we just read to you. He thinks it's going to be the most valuable life sciences company in the world. He, uh, unfortunately, traveling today. Uh, he's on an airplane as we speak, so he's unable to join us now, but at least wanted to give you the news. He did buy more. Stock is absolutely crushing it. Thus, we made it our chart of the day. Up next, we will have the latest on the arrest of FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried. A news conference is scheduled now at 2 o'clock Eastern time. Halftime's back in two. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried facing several criminal charges today after being arrested in the Bahamas last night. Our Kate Rooney following the case against Bankman-Fried. Kate? Hey there, Scott. That's right. We saw a wave of charges against the FTX founder in the past 24 hours. He was taken into custody in the Bahamas around 6 p.m. last night. The latest came this morning. It was an indictment from the Southern District of New York. Bankman-Fried is charged with eight counts, including wire fraud, money laundering, and conspiracy to defraud the U.S. and campaign finance regulations. SDNY says this started back in 2019, right around when FTX was founded and up to last month when the company filed for bankruptcy. Prosecutors say he did this willfully and knowingly, despite what the FTX founder has said 
In recent interviews, we also got a complaint this morning from the CFTC accusing Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX, and Alameda, two of his companies, of fraud. The CFTC says FTX customer deposits were regularly accepted, held by, and or appropriated by Alameda for its own use. That violated FTX's terms of service. And they say at Bankman-Fried's direction, FTX executives created features in the underlying code for FTX that allowed Alameda to maintain essentially unlimited lines of credit on FTX. That's his quant trading firm Alameda. They say it had an unfair advantage when transacting on the FTX platform, including quicker execution and an exemption from the platform's auto liquidation process. They also point to the hundreds of millions of dollars in what they call poorly documented loans from Alameda that they used to purchase luxury real estate and make political donations. It echoes what we heard from the SEC as well this morning. That agency says Bankman Fried committed what they call a massive years-long fraud diverting billions of dollars of customer funds for his own personal benefit. They say he built a house of cards on a foundation of deception. We did get a statement from Bankman Fried's lawyers. They say he is reviewing the charges with his legal team and considering all of his legal options. Reuters also reporting that Sam Bankman-Fried may fight extradition in the Bahamas. He told the Bahamas court today that he will not waive his right to an extradition hearing. We're getting that from Reuters, so a report there, Scott. Back yeah. to you. And as we said, Kate, we've got that uh, news event from the Southern District of New York coming at 2 o'clock. But just stunning uh, testimony today from the current CEO, John Ray. This is just old-fashioned embezzlement was really the statement, I think, that will stand out among many. No record-keeping, no board, no management, no insurance, and on and on and on, Kate. He said something along the lines, too, Scott, of that there wasn't a single piece of paper that he trusted from FTX based on them losing about $8 billion in money. So he said he's in charge of really unwinding this whole FTX fiasco. He, of course, is the gentleman who restructured Enron, so has about 40 years of restructuring experience. So I, his words do hold a lot of weight for a lot of people. And uh, he is not mincing words at all when it comes to this testimony um, that's still going on right now at the House. All right. Yep. We'll see you uh, throughout the day, obviously. And I'll see you again in overtime. I'm sure of that. Kate Rooney, thank you very much. Up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. Plus, the committee is ready to grade your trade. We're answering your questions about the trades that you have made. You can send us an email, askhalftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us as well. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Dow was up better than 700 at one point after that cooler than expected CPI was just down 100. And it's pretty much there at this moment. So stocks have given it all up. Uh, and we'll see what happens over the next few hours, obviously. But a really interesting market day shaping up after a huge gain turns into uh, losses. S&P still sticking around with a six-point gain. And NASDAQ was better than the others of course, the magnitude of its pop off that CPI, it's still holding on to a little bit better than a third of a percent, which is about 42. We'll call it. Let's do grade my trade. Uh, number one, Stephanie Link, you got to grade this, okay? It's Bill in Chicago. It says, I purchased IBM at 124.50 uh, on October 11th. 
He wants to know a grade and your thoughts on it heading into 2023, as that stock today, by the way, hits a new 52-week high. Yeah, I mean, it's an A-plus. You're up 20% in this kind of market. That's awesome, Bill. Uh, better than I even am doing in the name. And I still like it very much for 2023, though. Uh, this is a simplification story. They're uh, actually focusing on software, on services, on cloud, and that's going to increase the recurring revenue uh, stream and their margins as well. So stock is still very cheap at 14 times. You get a nice yield as well. So I would stick with it for 2023. Oh, okay. And then Mark in Houston, also for you, Steph. Oh. Mark in Houston. I bought Oxy at 67. You own that. Uh, too. I do. They have very good assets, very strong free cash flow, uh, $3.1 billion in the most recent quarter. They're paying down debt. I think they're going to increase the dividend. It trades at uh, six times earnings, and you have Warren Buffett in there as well, uh, owning a big chunk of it. So I would stick with this one. Okay. Please keep your trades coming in so that we can continue to grade them. Send an email to askhalftime at cnbc.com, or you can tweet us as well. All right, Jimmy, quickly, you're adding to Paramount. Mm. Wow. Yeah. But it's Talk there's to a us. simple reason why. Uh, it goes back to the very start of the show. I believe interest rates aren't going as high as has previously been predicted. Uh, and when I got the confirmation, at least I believe I got the confirmation from the CPI number today, that leads me to a company like Paramount where there is a high debt level. Now, this isn't that, you know, their debt is floating rate, but the fears that these interest rates are going to keep moving up and hit them with higher interest expense now starts to abate as well using a discounted cash flow model of stock price valuation lower interest rate indicates a higher stock price. So it's I thought you were doing it because you thought Powell was going to subscribe to Paramount Plus. I'm expecting that tomorrow. <laughs> when, you, when you're saying interest rates, I'm like, where's the connection? This is the easiest service to cut. It's like the dumbest company. They don't have Yellowstone. They made this show and they sold it. So if you subscribe to Paramount Plus, you can't watch Yellowstone. It's on Peacock. Everyone involved with this company should retire. <laughs> May I? And no. Joe. No, no. But it's not fastest I did that on purpose. There's four minutes left. We've got to get to one more set of commercials. And we'll do it now. Final trades are next. Fever. Final trades are next. We've got a big overtime in a few hours uh, from now, and we'll see what this market does between now and then. Terranova Greenhouse, Lauren Goodwin, Mark Newton will have the latest on the charges against Sam Bankman Fried, obviously. Presumably, we're going to see him at some point today down in the Bahamas. Uh, he is in a courthouse at the current time, uh, and we do have a camera on that down in Nassau. So see what transpires there. We'll bring it to you then. Uh, let's do final trades if we could. As Oh, by the way, Jeffrey Gunlock tomorrow, too, again on Fed Day. I want to remind all of you of that as well. Jimmy, final trade is what? Uh, Wynn Resorts, another company with high debt load. Uh, the potential for lower interest rates, lower peak interest rates helps them. Okay. Stephanie Link. Yeah, DR Horton, best in class in terms of ROE and operating margins. I think earnings and orders are troughing and it trades at nine times earnings. Okay. I saved you for last, the man in lilac. I am not. Thank you. I am not in, I am not in this stock yet, but it's setting up, and I really like this type of setup. DocuSign, this is a name that's in an 86% drawdown right now. It is having a lot of trouble attracting any more sellers mm -hmm. at these levels. I think the downside risk, very well defined. All the right. stock goes in in the mid-40s. There could be huge upside here. All right. See you then. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.